Welcome to the latest episode of Rowland's Rants. Today I'm delighted to be joined by recent World Cup winner Malcolm Marks. So thanks a lot for coming on the show, Malcolm, firstly. And how are you getting on these days? No, first of all, thanks for having me, Richie. I really appreciate it. Um, yeah, it's, it's been obviously tough and challenging times for everybody around the world. And, um, and yeah, uh, fortunately, fortunately, I'm back home now, which I'm pretty happy about. But um, yeah, I'm pretty sure there's a lot of people that are, that are struggling really badly due to due to the COVID situation and, um, and yeah I've just I think I'm just fortunate to be back and be back with my family yeah good to hear good to hear and to just kind of focus now on to just say your career side of things and I always ask this when I've guests on especially rugby players is or like looking back at your early days like at what stage did you start or first pick up a rugby ball and like was there maybe a particular reason that made you start in the first place was there a moment was there a certain person that kind of gravitated you towards the sport of rugby um yeah so i when i was in primary school in grade five i started playing um playing rugby and um i was enjoying it and i loved the game and all of that but then um when i watched the 2007 world cup um when South Africa won it in in France, um, that sort of gave me the motivation to want to to want to sort of play rugby and become a professional rugby player. Just watching how those guys played and, and what they did for the country as well, I think that was a pretty big motivation for me to start playing rugby. And say at an early age, like a start, say two thousand and seven, that was obviously a team that was captained by the famous John Smith, and even yeah. had say Bismarck on the bench. Like early on, did you? see yourself, okay, I'm going to be going to be a hooker, try following the footsteps of those kind of heroes, so to speak, or did you kind of float around with different positions early on? Um, I was I was sort of in different positions. I, I was mainly a loose forward going up um, from primary school into into high school, and then um, in my matric year, I ended up moving, moving to two, and um, obviously watching those guys throughout the years, um, I knew exactly who I'd want to play like because of the performances that they produced on the field. So, um, so yeah, that, when I moved to two, those were the guys that I looked up to and, and aspired to play like. And you kind of, you played through the younger ranks, Malcolm and Adolfs, it eventually led to you playing for the under-20s with the Springboks. But I'm just wondering, was there, was there any particular moment or stage during that kind of progression up the ranks was there a stage or even a person that kind of came to you and said, listen, this this could be a potential career for you. You could really go far as a rugby player. Or were you kind of just happy to go with the flow, go through the motions, go through college or university? Or was it very early on established that you wanted to become a pro? Um, yeah, so when I went to high school, I obviously realized how much um, the 2007 World Cup influenced me to, to want to become a professional rugby player. And um, yeah, my high school coach... Um, made the suggestion for me to maybe move to two and um I tried it and I and I really started enjoying it and and to be honest I haven't looked back a day in my life. Um I really enjoy that position. Um obviously I'm learning a lot as well and I'm obviously just trying to better my skill set um every single training session and every single game. Um but yeah I haven't I haven't looked back on, on going back to loose forward ever since I, I started playing too. Mm. And like when you had to make those decisions where you were going to fully commit to being a rugby player, and as you said, you didn't look back. I always ask at that stage, especially saying university, was there ever an alternative? Like, what was your plan B if rugby didn't work out at that stage? Was there a kind of a work, like a job you wanted to go down, a certain sector you wanted to, or 
as you said, was it just purely my focus is on rugby and if it works, it works. If not, then I'll deal with plan B later on. Yeah, so um, so I went to a university called UJ. Well, I was contracted at the Lions and I went to a university called UJ and I um, obviously had to study there in order to, to play for the varsity. Um, and yeah, I got into into a sporting uh, or sporting course um, sort of at the varsity, but rugby sort of took up most of my time. So it was kind of tough to balance the two and actually study. So I just said to myself, um, this is a career that I want and, and, and this is what I want to do. So I'm going to put all my all my emphasis on onto rugby and, and try and make it in the in the rugby industry. And obviously, I had my doubts. Um, obviously, knowing how many how many good rugby players come through the country and, and schoolboys and and how many how many guys were already playing um, such great professional rugby for for the franchises, um, I obviously doubted myself. But um, yeah, I sort of got over that and sort of just started working hard. And um, yeah, I have got a I have got a an, an industry that I really enjoy, which is property. But um, at the moment, for me, it's just been all about rugby. Malcolm, you're saying that it was kind of a confidence thing that you really wanted to build up the confidence and hopefully become the rugby player you hoped to be. And I suppose the first kind of year you came on the scene was the 2017 Super Rugby season. Yeah. You kind of burst on and the Lions were playing great rugby that year as well. Yeah. Like, was that just a lot of individual work behind the scenes, both on and off the pitch by yourself? Or was there maybe a coach, a fellow player, that gave you that confidence to go, you know what, this is this is professional level, but you're more than capable of stepping up and being able to perform here. Yeah, I, th- I think it was a combination of everything. Um, I think the people that I had around me in the in the, in the side and and the coaches and obviously my family and friends that that supported me off the field. Um, I think it was just a balance of everything that that helped me sort of get over that get over the fact that I wouldn't think that I would make it, um, or I didn't think that I would I would become a professional rugby player and um. I sort of just started believing in myself a bit more and sort of backing myself a bit more. And um, yeah, and the coach, having the backing of the coaches and my fellow players um, was just a, a big motivator for me um, to sort of start believing in myself and knowing that if I work hard and I do my job, um, I, I would be able to become a player that one day I aspire to be. And you're saying there that hoping to become the player you aspire to be one day. As you said, and even as an Irish fan looking at South African rugby, they've always had quality twos. Like since I've followed it in the last 20 years, mm. there's always been a quality hooker wearing that number two jersey. Yeah. When you say burst on the scene there in 2017, do you feel like they've just come off a World Cup really? It's a kind of transition period, new coaches in. Do you start thinking about international career or were you still at that moment thinking, listen, just be consistent club club game week in week out or did you have aspirations to immediately try and get in the mix for the international setup um yeah so during that stage i was i was sort of focused on on just trying to to be as consistent as possible for the franchise i was playing for and um and obviously putting in good performances or trying to put in good performances every single week um and i think that uh I think that the Springbok or the national side was was a motivation for me to work hard and and, and carry on putting in that hard work. Um, but yeah, at at that stage, I'll be honest, I, I was just trying to perform the best of my ability for my franchise. Okay, and like Malcolm, was there ever a time? And as I said, you you were voted maybe player of the season at the Lions Club, and you've received a few other individual honours. But maybe even in two thousand sixteen, or maybe at the start of two thousand seventeen, was there ever 
as you said, you kind of had to sometimes battle with confidence. And as you said, it was all about self-belief and having the support of family, friends and coaches. But was there ever a, a challenging moment where whether it was competition with another player, whether it was an injury or something early on that you really had to overcome? And then when you looked back on, you think, oh, that was actually a really important moment for me to come to the other side of it as a better player, or a better person. Um, during that stage, I was I was fortunate enough. I, I um, during the 2016-2017 seasons, I, I was fortunate enough to not get any major injuries. Um, I had I had a few. I had one or two injuries that kept me out for maybe a month or two, but that was pretty much it. And um, yeah, I think I think those those played a toll. And and like obviously, when you're injured, you've got a lot of time to think and reflect and and where you think you could be better. And and obviously, that was a motivation. But I think. I think the main thing is for me is the competition in South Africa, which is so healthy. I think, well, well it's healthy for me, I feel, because um, there's no room for you to become complacent and, and you've always got to be on top of your game and, and working hard to make sure that you, like, you're performing up there with, with, with the guys that are playing the best rugby in the country. When you eventually get that call to go into a Springbok camp before a big tournament or a test series, like I think Alistair was the coach back then. Like, how did that come about? Did you get the email? Did you get a phone call? Like, how big of a moment was that for you personally when you found out that not necessarily you're going to make your first cap, but you're finally going to be involved and given the opportunity to potentially get your first cap for South Africa? Yeah, so we uh, we were actually playing in the in the playoffs of the Super Rugby, and um, obviously the coach at the time obviously didn't want us to get this massive shock um, when the media released the. Uh, the, the sort of squad that would be together, the, the Springbok squad that would have been together. So he sort of mentioned the two players that have, that he had been told that would be in the squad, just to make sure that we're not we're not shocked and focusing on that uh, right away instead of focusing on the job at hand, which was which was the playoffs during the Super Rugby. So that's our final, and obviously I was extremely grateful and you know I was over the moon, but um, I knew I still had to do a job and 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 perform for um, for the franchise during that kind of the first maybe year or two when you enter in the Springbok camp performances were kind of mixed say if you compare them to what they are now you've got a real strong squad a foundation there that you know is going to lead now towards a, a line series in hopefully several months time but before that say pre um, Razzie's arrival there was kind of a battle for consistency across the board where you're looking for kind of consistent performances and it wasn't really happening and like, do you think that was down just to the makeup of the squad, or you know what was what was the difference between obviously being in a squad that eventually won a World Cup and say pre World Cup in those kind of two thousand seventeen two thousand eighteen um, seasons? Um, yeah, obviously it was a tough it was a tough um, stage for us, a tough period during those years, um, and I think I, I can't really pinpoint one specific thing that that made the difference. I mean. Um, uh, yeah, I'm sure you you probably know Rafi and and um, how he was when he was at Munster with Coach Jock and um, yeah, they just just all round understand everything. There's there's components of the game before they came in that I didn't really understand um, mm. and why they were so important. And I mean, I think the clarity. I think the main thing for me was clarity. The clarity on everything um, um, on on and off the field, what we were doing, why we were doing it, and um, yeah, I just think I just think all around all the coaching staff. Um, when I see when I see came in, everybody everybody was on the same page, and 
not saying that that previous years they weren't on the same page on. That's why I said I, I, I can't really pinpoint one specific thing, but the thing that stood out to me was, was the clarity in, in everything that we did. Yeah, and as I said, we we know Razzie well from his time in Munster, and the one thing he did do with Munster and Munster weren't kind of the pa- European powerhouse they used to be when he took mm. over, but when he came in, a lot of players just said, listen, he simplified things, he got us all on the same page, brought back the identity of Munster, which was obviously that physical side, that kind of never-say-die attitude. And once Razzie came in, it was such a short period where he came in and then obviously the World Cup prep would have started. And he did loads of things. There was um, like the captaincy changed. He brought back some of the, the foreign players playing in Europe even things like bringing Shout Brits out of retirement, convincing him to come back and play and be a, a squad member for the, the World Cup. Like, yeah. as a player going through all that, where you see these changes happening, did that kind of, obviously a new face coming in, it does tend to excite people and boost morale immediately, even before results have an impact. But with all these changes taking place, did it take long before it's players like yourself and players within the squad believe that, you know what, we can we can turn this around and we can we can go on and win a World Cup? Um, I don't I don't think it took too long. Uh, for me personally, I, um, I didn't. Obviously, sitting through meetings and, and understanding what he was saying, uh, it made it very clear that, that where his passion was, and, and, and that goes for all the coaches as well, their passion was obviously for the Springboks and, and, and South African rugby. And um, it didn't take me long to sort of start believing in the plan I sort of sat in the meetings and, yeah, sort of, I, I would say probably immediately understood what was going on and, and, and believed in it. Like, did he make, because, say, as an Irish an Irish fan, looking at, say, South African rugby, the, the blueprint's always been really disciplined side, strong set piece, very, very physical, great kicking game, and they were just kind of the components that, whether it was all the way back at the line series, um with Stain and the likes are even some of the better uh, teams like in 2007. But that was always kind of the, the characteristics of a South African side. And it seemed that Razzie came back and now obviously there was technical elements to it as well, but it seemed like the basics and like even especially say, if, if you look at say the scrum, that was something that some people appeared maybe could be a weakness with South Africa in maybe 2017, 2018, that suddenly became a strength and some people may have said, oh, their kicking game may not be as strong as it once was. Then suddenly that became as strong. So was there a real kind of basis and kind of focus on getting back to what South Africans were best at and just focusing on that and perfecting that and then obviously using that as a strength as uh, weeks went by? Yeah, definitely. Um, obviously, watching all the games and in the past, that that was always the strength of South Africa, what you just mentioned. And I think I think Rassi brought that Rassi or the coaching staff brought that back, that identity back to South Africa. And and I think yeah, the, while we worked hard on on those aspects um, that we might have not been as good at, um, we still worked on on the aspects that um, we thought we were quite good at. So um, yeah, it was an all round. It was an all round sort of um, performance from everybody, and and everybody was just willing to get better. So. Um, yeah, all the all the finer details and everything, I think, just played um, played a bit of a bigger role. Knowing what we were doing, while we were doing certain things, and you know, the, the finer detail, maybe in the kicking game or in the set piece, and um, and yeah, I think I think those 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 aspects were were sort of brought back um, brought back during that period. 
I'd say, for instance, when you build up to that World Cup um, in Japan, obviously there was a lot of, when New Zealand naturally were the favourites, but there was a lot of teams coming into good form. You had England, you had Wales. As an Irish fan, we were kind of hit and miss, but we were still a, a threat, especially with the year we had previously. Um, you were in the conversation as well. Like, just say when you went into that camp and the games start, start to take place, like, was... Razzie very much a game-by-game type coach? Was he just purely focusing week-by-week or was he always talking about the overall goal, which was to eventually win the World Cup? Like, How did he shape the dream or shape the goal during the World Cup? Was it very much stay humble, stay grounded, stay focused in the now or did he create this big kind of story, this big picture that would hopefully inspire you guys to go on and eventually win it? Um, there obviously was a big picture, and, and I mean, obviously going into the World Cup, I think every side goes in there to to want to win the to win the tournament. Um, and yeah, I think I think like there there was an aspect that 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 was that was the goal. But um, I think every single game it was it was game by game. Literally, once you analyze or once you're training to to play an opponent, um, the very next day it was um, sort of watching your game from the previous. From the previous day or, or 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 whatever, so you you watch that game and then straight after you watch that game, you look at where you can improve and what you think you can work on as a player. <clears throat> From after that, it moves on to the next side that we are playing against and making sure that we analyzed and did our work correctly on and off the field to make sure we were as best prepared as we could for every game that came. And how did the impact of, as I said, you look at maybe the likes of Dwayne Vermeulen or even say Shout Brits. What type of impact did those players that maybe had gone out of the squad for a year or two and then kind of were brought back in, like say even if you look at say someone in your position, like say Brits, what type of impact did he have? Because it was maybe clear early on for someone like himself that maybe he wasn't in the match day squads 23 when everyone was fit. But yes, Razzy kept saying how important his role would have been to push others to lend his experience. So like for individuals like himself like how important was that even say for you personally because you were you know you've hopefully got 10-15 years left in your career but here was a guy who had pretty much completed his career was on his last journey how important was it to have players like that to train with and bounce ideas off yeah no um for me it was extremely important obviously to learn from a guy like Skulk and and all the guys that that have got the experience um it was yeah for me it was unbelievable and and you know just to learn and pick up on small things and and like small things that they do um, on and off the field I, I think their roles in the side were unbelievable and and you know for me as a player and and, and you know watching a guy like Skulk when I was younger and obviously when he was at Saracens you you sort of want to learn from a guy like that and I mean um, fortunately he was able to to teach as well like he was able to give advice on certain things that you weren't sure about so. Yeah, for me, for me personally, I, I thought it was, I thought it was good uh, for me. So um, you know, just just to pick up on small things that I don't really know that he's picked up over the years that he has played, and yeah, I just think yeah, unbelievable, unbelievable guy, and all, all the guys were, were unbelievable guys. It's just yeah, just just sculpting in my my specific position, um, obviously being able to learn from a guy like that was great. Yeah, no, that's good to hear. I hear he's obviously he's a very very good guy to have around squads and whatnot. And one of the other introductions on the coaching side of things, it kind of made a bit of a bit of publicity over here was Felix Jones. And he came in late in the 
late in the process of the World Cup for you guys and just from yourself like I know maybe he, he could have we were not 100% sure exactly what he covered in the coaching side of things what sort of impact did Felix have when he joined the squad like was he straight into the thick of it did he kind of mix and match with regards to his impulse or was he very much he came in straight away and had a immediate and positive impact on the squad yeah he, he um obviously he came in and had a good impact on on the squad I mean his attention to detail and obviously um all the work that they put in behind the scenes you could see it immediately um <clears throat> and I think that was good as well like um all the video work and, and like I said previously all, all, all the things that they saw on on videos that that could make an impact and, and what we could do better and, and and what we should do against certain sides um you could pick that up immediately that he, that he had done his homework and everything from the first day that we met him so um so yeah I think he had a great impact on the side and as the the World Cup went on it gets obviously to the knockout stages you have your your great win over Japan who as the Irish found out they were they were flying high and during that time is it kind of became apparent where <clears throat> that we could see what the start in 15 was and you personally you found yourself and with the 16 jersey as I'm sure you would have preferred the two but you had the 16 jersey on your back for the majority of the competition but mm. like the likes of yourself even say Vincent Koch who many would rate as one of the best if not the best tight head in Europe you had Eve also as well the likes of Lowe as well and Stain on the bench he created this, the media branded it even over here in Ireland as the, the bomb squad. And just from yourself, as as you said, and even if you look at, say, Eddie Jones with England, he always said, listen, it's a 23-man game, the days of where you just picked your best 15 and just hoped for the best for 80 minutes. They're well and truly gone. But like from a personal level, obviously there was great disappointment, but then I'm sure there was obviously, you know, a bit of a bit of joy, a bit of proudness of being involved in such a, a good team during a World Cup but how did you take being benched after being South Africa say number number one uh, hooker for a year or two like was it a, a tough transition at the start or did you kind of speak to Razzie and he kind of gave you a role that you could really kind of gravitate towards and feel like it was it was ultimately the best for the team um, yeah, obviously, obviously it was tough in the beginning, but um, it took me like a day to get over that. And, you know, at the end of the day, the main thing was the team, um, what would be best for the team. Um, and that's all that I thought about. If, if that's the role that I've been given, I'm going to do that role the best that I can so that I can contribute as much as I can towards the team. So um, for me, it wasn't really a thing where I was upset. Um, once I actually started thinking about it, um, I actually thought to myself, don't be selfish, the team sport. Not, it's not going to be one by one individual. So, so I sort of put that. I put my pride aside, and I, and I sort of just did my role or what I thought my role was to the best of my ability. Okay, and where did you feel that was that very much part of the plan with Razzie? And you saw obviously in the final, it made a, a huge, huge impact off the bench with the likes of yourself and Cock and the previously mentioned guys I mentioned there. But like, was that very much part of the plan where you had a a side set out for 45, 50 minutes and then rather than maybe the bench coming on to see out the game, the bench, the mentality of the bench was to come on and absolutely even destroy the opposition to, if we were winning by five points, we want to end up winning the game by 15, 20 points. Was that very much the mentality of the people who were wearing the number 16 to 23? 
Um, I think I think we obviously, like I said, we obviously all knew our roles, and and we obviously knew that if we do get onto the if we do get onto the pitch, we have to make an impact, regardless. So um, I think we all I think we all just wanted to make an impact once once we did get the opportunity to get onto the field, and I think all of us um, obviously they call us the bomb squad. So um, yeah, you know, we 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 were just trying to get on the field and and make the biggest impact that we could. Um, and not individually, obviously, collectively as as a team, and and obviously falling in line with, with with what the team needed. Yeah, even just before I maybe touch on the final preparations, I think it, it wouldn't do the man justice. But yeah, there was obviously a, a big, a lot of kind of hype around the captaincy side of things with yourselves, and there's a huge amount of history within the country. It was, it's been going on for years and years. And, you know, Khaleesi has been deemed every interview I've seen him do, it's somewhat inspirational. Um, Razi or any of the fellow players, whenever you speak about him, you hold him in the highest regards. And that's also even opponents from other, other teams internationally. But like, what type of role did he have to play? Because I remember reading John Smith's book and like being a South African captain, it's not kind of the same as being the Irish captain or the England captain captain there's so many different aspects to a South African squad there's a lot of political issues on in the country both on and off the pitch like how important was the role he played with kind of making sure the squad as you said everyone was selfless everyone was very much invested in the team and we're in this together focusing on the one goal yeah I know um, yeah I think he is a great captain and, and you, you obviously saw it when he was at the Stormers and I think uh, during the World Cup and or, or when he became the South African captain, there was there, were, there wasn't any doubt about anything. To be honest, um, we knew what a good captain he was when, obviously, when he played for the Stormers, and um, we knew how he played. So I think everybody sort of helped um, the guys, the likes of Dwayne and, and and all the guys with with quite a bit of experience. I think obviously helped, but I think Sia led the led the side extremely well, and I thought. Performances on the field sort of backed up, um, backed up um, his words off the field. Um, the job uh, from the word go, I think everybody just stood behind him and supported, and which which I thought was great. Yeah, no, it really seemed to be the case with regards to people just getting in behind him, and even the public, the supporters, really kind of gravitated towards him as a captain and as kind of the spearhead figure of the team. And as the World Cup goes by. I'm not going to mention much about Ireland because that obviously isn't something to write home about. But with yourselves, you overcome, as I said, Japan. You come up against a Wales side that a lot of people tipped, especially with Gatlin as their head coach, capable of going all the way, especially in knockout rugby. And just say the week or two leading up, say when you beat Wales and you've just seen England put in a very impressive performance against the All Blacks, like, what was it like to, number one, first of all, realise you were in a, a World Cup final, but then also, secondly, coming up against, in some people's eyes, the favourites, England, after they'd put in such a impressive performance? Like, what was the kind of mood in the camp going in, uh, heading towards that final against England? I think, obviously, we knew it was going to be a challenge. Um, we, we, we obviously watched the game um, the night before we played Wales, and, I mean, obviously, you know, and you saw, you saw how well England played, and I think I think our focus then straight after that was just obviously focusing on Wales and putting in a performance um, against them to try and get the victory and and you know stick to what we do and I think after that um, the focus straight after that game the focus went straight from 
while we're still in England and, and obviously doing homework and, and playing ourselves as best we can. Um, even though um, some might have said we, we, we weren't the favourites, we, we sort of just stuck to our own and, and did our work and, and sort of just did our preparation the best we could, knowing knowing that the weekend game was going to be tough and obviously at the World Cup final, so there's a lot of pressure. And um, I think, yeah, we, we just stuck to ourselves and, and made sure we, we covered our bases. Okay, and was there anything in particular? And I've listened to a few interviews with, say, Eddie Jones, where he said he would have changed personnel, he would have maybe changed one or two things tactically. Like, a lot of people saw that being a 50-50 final or, as you said, maybe tilting it in the favour of England. Like, was there anything that, even after such an impressive performance against New Zealand, did Razzie, was it Felix, someone else within the, uh, the coaching ticket, was there kind of an emphasis anywhere, it could even be, say, Scrum or somewhere else, where you thought, we can we can really exploit them here if we if we get our detail right? Um. I wouldn't really say that all round. Um, obviously, we saw our England play and and then all round good game. And I don't think there was a specific area that we wanted to target to try and exploit them. Um, obviously, we worked extremely hard on our set piece and the backs. And the backs obviously worked extremely hard on on, on their launches and and all of that. And I I just think we we stuck to what we were doing. And um, obviously, throughout the World Cup, okay, maybe the first game it didn't go as well as we wanted it to, but building up from there we, we stuck to what we thought would work and, and obviously tweaking one or two things here and there to try and to try and manipulate different things. Um, but I think I think the main thing was there was clarity. We knew exactly what we wanted to do it while we were doing it. Um, and I think that contributed to everybody backing in and, and believing in ourselves. You find yourself there was an injury if I'm not mistaken, maybe after about twenty or so minutes, which find you found yourself coming on um, early on in the game in the first half. And like it was quite, quite a physical uh, first forty minutes, and then kind of in the second half, you guys ran away with us. I think it was also Cole Sinclair went off after a minute or two as well, mm. in which Cole had to come on and replace him. Like, how is it possible to kind of describe how you're feeling? Say those moments before was it? kind of focus on the job, focus on the job, or even when you knew you'd the game wrapped up with a couple of minutes to go, like, was it possible to even let yourself get overwhelmed about the actual achievement that you'd accomplished where you'd won the World Cup or was it pretty much once the final whistle blew, the whole squad, yourself, that's when you kind of realised the dream and the emotion started to come out? Yeah, obviously, leading up to the game, I was extremely nervous. And, and obviously, when, when Bongi got hurt... Um, I got even more nervous, but I knew that I had a job to do. So I tried to put that aside and just focus on, on what my role was and what I needed to contribute to the team. And um, yeah, I think for me, I just carried on going, obviously, until Andre got the ball and kicked it out. Um, that's, I think that's when, it, that's when it finally hit me and knowing that, that the side had achieved what it did. And um, yeah, I, I don't have words to describe it to you, to be honest, but... Um, yeah, it was overwhelming and I think for me extremely humbling and, and yeah, I think I'll forever stay grateful for that. Yeah, no, it was, it was truly a, a remarkable turnaround, as I said, two, two, three years ago. I even remember being at the Aviva during an Irish-South Africa game and I remember even the media were saying, oh, listen, this could be the end of South African rugby in other terms like this. And then for it to be turned around in two or three years to you being the best team in world rugby, is it's it's some turnaround. So obviously to be a player of that must have been a 
incredibly proud, challenging, all the words you can kind of find to describe that um, experience. But how was it then, say, when you come back to South Africa, as I said, the journey you've come on, a lot of people say it's it's a four-year journey. You've been through, you know, different coaches during that four-year period. But then when you get to come back home, like how was the response? Like was this quite overwhelming to seeing? And as I said, uh, you'd know a lot more than me, Malcolm, but there's obviously a huge history with South African rugby. There's the good and bad side of it. But how how kind of proud did it make you and the rest of the squad feel that you kind of united the country in celebration for, you know, a week or two after you managed to win that World Cup? No, it was unbelievable. Obviously, getting home and seeing all the support and, and going on the on the tour around South Africa and just seeing the amount of people that came out and just supported. And, you know, I think... Yeah, I don't. I don't think I have words for for that either. Like um, just seeing, just seeing how happy everybody was, and, and speaking to people. Obviously, once the game was about to start, and after the game, uh, what was happening? How happy people were, and you know, it, um, I think it was unbelievable. And and just seeing seeing people unite again, and and obviously stand next to each other. Um, yeah, it was an unbelievable experience. Just seeing, just seeing everybody. Just supporting and, and and you know being around and, and no matter what the situation was, everybody stood behind us, which was so great. And we saw that once we were once we arrived back home, all the support. Um, I'm not too sure if you saw the videos of when the guys arrived, how full the airport was, and yeah, everybody was just ecstatic and so excited. And I think for me as a player, that that's extremely humbling and 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 it's so nice to see um, what sport could do for the country. Yeah, no, for sure. And one of the last things I want to cover with you, just well, Malcolm, is obviously now it's hopefully, I know we're in obviously a strange, strange period with COVID-19 and whether it's sports or even just in general life, it's obviously taken its toll and had an effect on it. With regards to the lines now, it's it's penciled in anyway for next summer. Um, I know, like yourself or even Dwayne and the likes, there was a lot of South African players, New Zealand players that went over to Japan, played there for a while. Then obviously that got cut short. I know at the moment you and a few other players are kind of weighing up your options. Like in an ideal world, would you like to see yourself, you know, play in South Africa this year and take part in that line series if it goes ahead? Would that be the ideal um, plan for you? Yeah, well, well, obviously I'm in negotiations at the moment and I mm. mean... Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't really, really know what's going to happen in the next week to to see to see what 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 will um, what I will be doing. But um, obviously, I love South Africa and I, and I love playing rugby. And um, ideally, I would like to to obviously stay. Uh, well, I wouldn't really say stay. Uh, like obviously, the, the the whole field has changed now due to the virus and yeah and everything. You know, so I'm I'm sort of taking it day by day, not 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 really getting ahead of myself. Um, but I would love to play for South Africa again, and then, and obviously, hopefully, one day in, in the British and Irish Lions too. So, so, um, so yeah, we'll we'll see what happens and where we'll go from here. But, um, but yeah, it's obviously a troubling time, and, and we I'm pretty unsure and and all of that at the moment. So, so yeah. Yeah. No, I know it must be it must be a difficult time for negotiations, let alone just trying to live day by day like us all, and. I suppose just one of the last things on that, Malcolm, is like, is that very much a, 
a decision you're making based off you and your family or has someone like Razzy or a fellow teammate come in to kind of lend some advice to you on that? Um, yeah, I, I sort of discussed it with my family and, and obviously getting getting advice from the right people and I think it's important for me. But um, yeah, like I said before, unfortunately the field has changed now and um, we don't know what's happening. Um, obviously, um, due to the lockdown, yeah, we're not, I don't know when we'll be able to train and stuff like that again. But um, I'm trying to stay positive and obviously look at the bright side of things. And but um, yeah, I don't. I haven't really had influence from anybody in terms of my decision. And I think I think most people know how much I love South Africa and I love playing rugby in South Africa. Um, but um, yeah, we'll see what happens in the next week or two and and see what happens. We'll, we'll sort of take it from there. Okay. And Jenna, so Malcolm, that more or less wraps up the the formal part of the interview and how I normally end most podcasts here is just with a quick fire round. It's nothing too tough, don't worry. But yeah, yeah. it's a few quick fire <laughs> questions that got sent on by myself or I'd even ask as well. So first thing that pops into your head, feel free to, to shout it back out if that's all right. Yeah. So this was asked by someone on Instagram there, it was the toughest player you have ever faced. Ooh, this is tough. Um, so New Zealanders are tough, the Argentinians are tough, South Africans are tough, Australians, it's, it's, sort, of, it's sort of a broad question. Um, but I think I'd have to say probably a guy like Creevy. Yeah. Yeah. Uncompromising hooker, yeah. Tough yeah. character. Yep. <laughs> Your favorite film of all time? Ooh, I would probably say maybe American Sniper. Yeah, good flick. Is that Bradley Cooper, I think it is? Yeah. Yeah, good flick. What do you see yourself doing after rugby? And I know it's probably a question you don't want to hear right now, but it was it was <laughs> asked by someone and they'd kill me if I didn't ask it. Um, I think ideally I'd, I'd love to coach and stay in the game. Um, but if, if that opportunity doesn't present itself, I'd like to do possibly property or get into a business and, and sort of learn the industry um uh, i wouldn't really point out a specific business but um yeah other other first choice would probably get into coaching and then after that sort of look for work and, and sort of learn the tricks of the trade or the industry that i that i'd be interested in okay and another peculiar one here if it, it's an irish themed one someone asked have you ever tried guinness and if so did you like it i love guinness um <laughs> In Ireland, uh, I think it was 2017. Yeah, managed to managed to have one or two Guinnesses over there, which is really great, and I do enjoy it. Right, that's obviously put yourself up in a few people's eyes there with that question <laughs> and that answer. So fair play. <laughs> so for the meatheads out there, someone asked, "What is your max bench press?" Oh, geez, I haven't done that for a while. Um, to be honest, uh, I couldn't even tell you that now at the moment. Uh, uh, when I was younger, I did about 190 around. Um, but um, yeah, I'll sort of try to move away from doing the heavier things now and sort of doing the things that make me more agile. And second last one is the strangest thing you've seen on a rugby pitch. Was that first hand or on TV? Um, first hand, first hand. Um, I think yeah, there was a there was a game that um, the Lions played someone in Super Rugby, and um, I don't know if you if you know the the hooker Akar van Amerga. No, no, I do, I do. Yeah, yeah. So, um, here. yeah. So he, um, he's obviously got his big beard, and um, yeah, 
I think he went to clean out on, on another player and then obviously moving away from that uh, the next minute. Obviously, this is a serious game. You know, um, one of the, the guy that carried, um, carried obviously had Akker cleaning on him and um, the guy, after he placed the ball, he started tickling Akker's head like from the bottom. Like, you know, it's like a jokey way. Like, I mean, in the heat of a moment, you think, what's this guy doing? And afterwards, you think about it. It's actually so funny, you know, just trying to bring a bit of humor onto the pitch. <laughs> yeah. Oh. And lastly, this is obviously, this is the toughest, toughest out of them all. A lot of people struggle with this, Malcolm Bus. Describe yourself in three words. Oh, jeez, here we go. Um... Now you've got me on the spot there and I've got to think. I know, it's tough. Uh, it's tough. <laughs> um, I would like to say hardworking, um, committed. Uh, I'd say hardworking, committed and uh, loyal, I'd say. Okay. Yeah, that more or less wraps it up for us. Malcolm, I want to I thank you for coming on, taking time out. I um, really enjoy getting to chat to you. And as I said... Obviously, it's a, it's a strange time at the moment, but I hope you and the family stay safe. As I said, I know with the negotiations, hopefully that gets sorted out for you personally soon as well. And yeah, listen, I just want to thank you for being so honest and frank about your experiences up until now. And I'm sure the listeners, when they get around to listen to this, will uh, very much enjoy it, especially when they get to that Guinness, that Guinness <laughs> answer. Uh, thanks, Richie. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me on the show.